Hey, Zakiba, uh, Amazon, where you get everything else? Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. <laughs> Hello. Wait a minute. Hello. Nope. Hello. What's up, everybody? Genesis, Soul, Alchemy, Hey, Steven, Esoteric. Where the hell is Edward Bailey? Because he's been on my ass for this goddamn body and soul movie. But tonight I got, I'm going to hook it up tonight. Tonight we're going to go in on a couple of these flicks. We're going to go in tonight. Where is that? I'm sorry, guys. You know how you know how it is. In the notebooks and the in the pages and shit. Okay. Okay. All right. Black Panther, what's happening? Esoteric Bay, what's happening? Hurricane Baby Jesus. Wilk, what's happening? What's happening? Salute everybody. Shout out to everybody. Everybody, I hope everybody's well. Everybody's in good health. Spirits, all right. Let me run the uh the script real quick. All right, once again, welcome back to the Morning Star Show featuring your host, Super Slot 75. I want to give a shout out to uh producer, executive producer, uh Cindy, uh, aka Boss Ashby. Um, you can always find us on oh, so the new the new site, uh, we had some changes. Uh, some good changes. So the new site is, what is it? What is it? It is on the wakeupradio.com. So we're slowly making the changes, um, especially for those that, that want to get away from YouTube. So right now, the new, to catch everything, uh, is on the wakeupradio.com. Um, also, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio for the replays. Um, the call-in number, it should be the Google number. I I don't even know if I'm going to post a number tonight. Whatever. Uh, you can find me on YouTube under SuperSlot75. The backup channel is called Heavily Flawed Individual. Merchandise is available through uh, teespring.com forward slash SuperSlot75. Also, please feel free to donate any amounts to go to website, airtime. It's a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. So once again, on, wait a minute. Yes, once again, www.onthewakeupradio.com. That is the official, 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 official site. Official. Official. Hold up. Give me one moment. Just disregard everything y'all just saw. Disregard all that. That's not part of the show. 
All right. Okay. Uh, first movie we're going to get into is Body and Soul. Body and Soul is a uh, another Leon Isaac Kennedy produced flick. It's kind of somewhat, somewhat in the vein of Penitentiary 1981. Okay. Super slow tart. Shut up, Cindy. We'll be professional. No. <laughs> All right, so here we go. <laughs> Body and Soul. Uh, the opening scene is an amateur boxing match uh, in Chicago. There's two matchmakers assessing the fight. It's for the Chicago Golden Gloves uh, title. Julie Winters, played by none other than um, Jane Kennedy. Uh, she presents Leon Johnson with, uh, with an award, but he's too busy having sex in the bathroom with another woman. He's won two state divisions at two different weight classes. Leon does not want to turn pro. Okay, he doesn't want to go pro. Uh, Leon hits on Julie. They share a dance. Leon's sister is back in the hospital. Kelly, she has sickle cell anemia. Leon has an argument with his mother about the quality of the hospital. Leon decides to fight professionally to help pay to cover her bills. Leon's mother wants him to stay in school to become a doctor. Leon tells Charles, his manager, the white guy, he's going pro. Leon goes to Muhammad Ali for training. Ali turns him down. The notable thing about Ali in his movie, this is where you see the signs of his Parkinson's starting to take effect. It's kind of sad because his words, he's slurring his words. Uh, there's, a, there's a sparring scene. He's not as crisp. He's not moving as well. So this is where, this is the, the one movie you can see the actual uh, beginning effects of Ali's uh, fight with Parkinson's. It was it was kind of sad because you already knew what was going to, you know, how he ended up, you know. All right. So. Leon has his first professional fight. He wins via K, uh, KO and he wins a bunch of fights. Julie interviews Leon for Sports Unlimited. Leon goes by the moniker The Lover because he wants to pack in more seats thus increasing his uh, his profitability with the promoters. So he, he does like the ravishing Rick Rude, like he passes out roses to the women when he when he comes through the uh, through the tunnel. Right. And in, in, in his ring entrance. OK. Uh, this is a gim his gimmick to draw in more fans to the fights. Leon gets knocked down in his fight, showboating in the ring, but still wins the fight. Leon and Julie have dinner. Julie tells Leon, I don't judge a man on reputation or money. Just be a man. Leon wins more fights. Leon proposes to Julie, the title belt uh, governing body, the, the big man, right? The one that holds the belt in that particular uh, class or that, that, that organization. They, they call him big man. Uh, he sends his handler, the brother, to go see what his weaknesses are. He's told to give him whatever he wants. Leon is brought to a fight party industry. He meets a bunch of women. Charles, the white guy, his, his manager, is given coke to sniff. A woman named Pussy Willow is in a room waiting for Leon. Her name is Pussy Willow. Dark skin sister. <laughs> like Sunshine and, and, and Harlem Nights. 
Pussy Willow smokes this woman. Okay, she smokes sunshine. <laughs> oh my God, she smokes sunshine. Um. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Uh, so then the handler introduces Charles to free base. Leon has his title shot against the St. Louis assassin. Uh, <laughs> during the match in between the rounds, a woman get, comes up to the ring and gives him a, a gift and kisses him on the mouth. Then a BBW comes into the ring, gives her his panties and gives him a kiss. Leon wins the title. <laughs> Leon and Charlie meet to set up the fight between him and the Iceman. Now, the Iceman is like the, the, the big man's number one guy. So what ends up happening is the big man will keep these the, 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 the champ around until, the, until they see somebody younger. And then he'll take on the young guy to beat the old, the old champ. Okay, so during the negotiations with the big man, he tells Leon if he beats the champ, the promoter gets 50% of Leon off top. Charles is upset at the offer. Charles is upset that Le Leon is considering the offer. Leon fires Charles. Charles' drugs ha drugs habit, drug habits have become a problem. Leon takes the promoter's offer. Leon says, we, we already have a contract. What's the sense in shaking hands? During the fight with the Iceman, Leon is knocked out of the ring. Leon's trainer tells Leon to hit the Iceman right above his eyes, twist the glove as he punches to cut him up, to puffy his eyes and blind him and break his nose because Leon does not have the power to knock out the Iceman. Okay. During the fight, the Iceman's eyes begin to puff up. Leon is ahead on points going into the 13th round. Leon wins by TKO. Leon is then told there's no cure for sickle cell for his sister, Kelly. Leon goes to his celebra celebration party, and there's three women waiting in his room for him. The handler tells a promoter he's in the room. So they set this up on purpose. The, promo um, <laughs> the, the promoter, the big man, uh, gives Julie the keys because Julie shows up to the party looking for him. And gives him the keys to the room that where Leon is with the women. So Julie uses the key to, to, <laughs> to enter the room and he sees Leon with the three women. Leon tells Julie it's just part of this other business. Julie tells Leon his life has turned into a circus. Julie drives off and says he's changed. Julie says she feels sorry for him and that he became his own biggest fan. She tells him she wished he was double-jointed so he can kiss his own ass. Julie calls Leon about Charles. He's high on drugs. Charles said he saw demons and monkeys like in Wizard of Oz and jumps out of a window. <laughs> Charles tells Leon, we created monsters. Charles never used to, you never used to drink or do drugs. Leon hasn't fought in a year. Since being becoming since being the Iceman, the the big man has a new fighter. The promoter tells him his reign is over and that you'll lose because you're smart. He says the contract he has on Leon is being put up for collateral and that he's betting everything against him. 
The big man gives Leon $200,000 to bet against himself and to get out of the fight game. Leon's mom is upset that he didn't do what she sacrificed for, for, her, for him. Leon says all his life he said, yes, mama, and that he is somebody, his, even though his mother believes he's not anybody. So there's this scene between him and his mother, and he finally lashes out at the mother. And he says, you know, all my life, it's always been yes, mama. I do this, it's yes, mama. Yes, mama, yes, mama, yes, mama. So basically he kind of blew up at her and uh, had to remind her he's done everything for her at her behest, at her whim. And he, he had enough of it. He wanted to do, wants to do his own life, wants to do what he wants to do for him. Okay. So then the new fighter, uh, Ricardo Santiago, the new guy, he beats up his sparring partners. Uh, the handler tells the promoter, Leon doesn't have it anymore. Uh, we took away his heart. Now his mind is not focused. We took away his stamina, took away his team. Now he has no goals. He's finished. Just another fighter wanting to lose. Leon goes to Julie's house at 3 a.m. Leon tells Julie his head's not right and there's no way he can win this fight. Leon tells Julie he needs her and that he loves her. They later, ha later have sex, right? They make up sex. The next morning, Leon tells Julie to put their money somewhere safe. The money that the big man gave him, the 200K. Julie tells Leon she threw his money Back at the promoter. Huh? Leon says, you don't know business. Julie tells him she borrowed against her car, the house, money in the bank, and bet on Leon to win the fight. Leon begins to train with Ali. Okay? Uh, Charles finally gets out of the mental hospital and joins Leon's training camp. Leon tells Julie he doesn't think he can be he doesn't think he can beat Ricardo. The promoter tells Leon to rethink his offer. And it's not too late. Leon tells him you figured out everybody's weaknesses, but nobody's figured out yours. Nobody's ever said no. Leon says he's going to win the fight and he'll be looking for the big boys to come to take you out to <laughs> looking for the big boys to take you on a one-way trip. When you can't cover your bets, the big man says you'll die. Leon says, you want to kill me? Fine. Everybody dies. It's not dying that's bad. It's how you do it. Okay. During the fight, he's thrown to the ground. Ricardo calls him a nigger. Leon is being manhandled and knocked down to the canvas for the second time. So he's basically getting his ass up throughout this fight. Uh, Ricardo is shoulder butting Leon in the corner. Ricardo is headbutting and punching Leon in the crotch. They roll around on the canvas. Frank tells Leon to outpoint and to finish each round pretty. Ricardo punches Leon in the back of the head against the ropes. Frank tells Leon he's lost too many rounds. He's got to knock him out. Leon begins his onslaught against Ricardo. Leon's mother is in the crowd cheering Leon on. Leon begins to get the best of Ricardo. Leon knocks Ricardo down, but he beats the count. Round 15, Leon knocks Ricardo out. The big, boy, the big boys walk the promoter and the handler outside because they can't cover the bets. So you see them being walked, escorted outside. Leon's mom <laughs> tells Leon she loves him and is proud of him. Everybody rushes the ring. That 
was body and soul. That is what Edward Bailey's been on my ass about. Now, I will get to thinner and demon seed when I get to it. But <laughs> it was a cool little flick. I, I caught the little messages, the contracts and, and whatever and whatnot, how they purposely set him up to fail and took everything, took his support system around from him. So that was pretty, that was pretty slick. Okay, now let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Uh, the first movie of the good stuff. We're going to do Prince of Darkness. No, no. Do I want to do Prince of Darkness? No. I'm going to edit this title. So y'all bear with me. Uh, I want to keep it. I want to keep kind of keep the satanic theme going. Okay. Here's what we got tonight. Here's what we got. This is up to you guys. We got Queen of the Damned. I'm going to do that last because it's Aaliyah's birthday week. Okay. I'm going to do Queen of the Damned. That's for sure tonight. But I, I got here's here's your picks. We got Legend. We got Prince of Darkness. And we got Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> so. I think. I'm going to do Prince of Darkness first. I'm saving Queen of Damned for the la- for the last because it's a huge backstory. It's a lot of background information that was not in the movie that you would only had to known if you read the uh, Lestat and the other uh, sequel from the Anne Rice novels. It's a lot to cover with Queen of the Damned. That's why I'm saving it for last. Shut up, Cindy. I'm not doing all of it. I'm not going to shoot my load tonight. Crazy. So, <laughs> let's do let's do Prince of Darkness first. So we'll do Prince of Darkness, right? And then we'll do Rosemary's Baby, and then we'll we'll end it with Queen of the uh, Queen of the Dam. So nice and satanic for all you Christians out there. Okay, good nice devil devil movies. All right. So Prince of Darkness. Okay. Just bear with me. A lot of notes. A lot of notes. A lot of notes. It's like I'm back in school again. I swear. Okay. 1987. Now, this was the second installment of John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. So, the first one was The Thing. Prince of Darkness was number two. And the third trilogy was In the Mouth of Madness. So there was a theme with these particular three movies. All right. So now let's get into it. It's a lot of things to cover. Opening scene, a prince, uh, a priest dies on his bed holding a box. It's Father Carlton. Okay. A nun discovers his dead body. Father Carlton belonged to the Brotherhood of Sleep. They communicated through dreams. Right. In Father Carlton's diary, it says, The sleeper awakens. I have witnessed the stirring, felt the cold, hellish blast. The priest removed a key from the box. Okay. Professor Howard speaks on time and nature and that human logic collapses at a subatomic level. It's a lot of themes in this particular movie. Okay. Uh, The priest goes to the the basement. The priest is played by Donald Pleasance. He has no real name, no name in this movie. He's just called the priest. Okay. So the priest, a.k.a. Donald Pleasance, 
uh, goes to the basement of the Brotherhood's monastery. The priest reaches out. He reaches out to Professor Howard. Okay, Professor Howard is played by the old uh, Asian dude that played the old Asian dude in uh, Big Trouble Little China with a little squinty eye. Okay, that's him. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Brian is watching a show on the Big Bang Theory, and the back of his TV it begins to melt. The next day, Professor and the priest go to the monastery's basement and see the green liquid swirling in a container. They decipher an ancient text. The priest says the world began changing a month ago and that his power is growing. Walter and Kelly discuss observation and description. Brian, Walter, Kelly, Danforth are summoned by Professor Howard. The professor tells the students they'll be working for the archdiocese. The professor notices a homeless woman with ants on the side of her face, worshiping the sun. The priest tells the professor he lives in the sum of its parts. The priest wants uh, the professor to scientifically prove the book and to show it to the world. The professor says the outside world doesn't want to hear it. The priest says no prison can hold him now. Danforth and Brian spend the night together. Homeless people watch the students arrive at the monastery. There is a crescent moon and the sun at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. The students and other teams set up the lab sites. A student begins to translate the book. I... Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you this thing which shall be unleashed. That's the first translation. The possessed homeless people begin to surround the monastery. Everybody heads down to the basement to observe the liquid. Further translations. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. That's the second translation. The students are using differential equations to translate the book. The windows are covered in worms. Next translation. And the prince of darkness was himself sealed. That old life called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Okay. There's an episode of Tom and Jerry playing on the TV when Tom goes to hell. You remember that episode? The dog is to hell. Uh, Tom falls into the, the cauldron. He's trying to get out, and the devil, the devil dog, is taking his pitchfork and sticking him back in the in the cauldron. That episode is playing on the TV. Okay. One of the research students comes across a bird on a cross while leaving, and is then attacked and stabbed in the chest with a bicycle frame by the oldest people, the homeless people. Brian questions Professor Birick about the liquid is becoming something. Professor Beard goes, uh, gives Brian another translation. I saw a star fall from heaven onto the bottomless pit, and he was cast out as water from flood. Carbon dating on the lid containing the liquid dates back to 7 million years. Researcher traces the roots of the container. It was buried in the Middle East by the father of Satan. A God who once walked the earth, but then banished to the dark side. Okay. The, uh, the father buried his son 
inside the container. Christ came to warn us, but he was an extraterrestrial ancestry, but like a, of a human-like race. So in this movie, they discover that Jesus was an extraterrestrial human-like alien that came to warn the people of Earth about the impending uh, rise of Satan. Okay? This is crazy, crazy movie. So then, downstairs, a female researcher becomes infected with the green substance. Back upstairs, they determined Christ was crazy, but his movement was becoming popular, so they killed him. But his disciples kept the secret until man could create a science sophisticated enough to prove what Christ had already knew. How Roman Catholics kept this a secret for 2,000 years is because a decision was made to characterize pure evil as a spiritual force, a force in the hearts of men. That way, man stayed the center of things so we can live without truth and substance. Brian records activity from the container, kinetic emission. It can move other objects instantaneously across a distance without outside intervention. It's called psychokinesis. It's mind-directed energy. The professor tells Brian to not tell the others just yet. The infected researcher, Susan, she's a radiologist, breaks the neck of a co-worker. Brian tells Danforth about the liquid. Professor Birick says every particle has an antiparticle, a mirror image. He says the liquids, the liquid's mind resides in the mirror image instead of in the universe. This force is the anti-God here to bring darkness. The researcher Frank stays outside, then sees Susan and is then stabbed to death by a homeless woman. Another translation. Be ye not deceived of his purpose, for one will be chosen. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Who is that? Who that? Who that? My bad. My bad. I'm trying to read that. Yo, I'm trying to read this, this super chat. Thank you for the super chat. I appreciate it on the backup channel. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Walter receives a dream transmission about the future. Professor Birick received the same dream transmission. It says our technology has now developed a transmitter strong enough to reach your consciousness state of awareness. The Asian translator lady is then infected by Susan. The priest tells Birick the dream is a, pre a premonition. The dream evolves. The researchers whose neck was broken becomes infected of the green liquid. Kelly's bruise on her arm has turned into a raised crucifix. Kelly has been chosen. Lisa, the infected translator, is typing on the computer, I live, you will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. In fact, you will not be saved. Susan, Lisa, then infect another researcher. Everybody who sleeps in the church has the same dream or premonition as the Brotherhood did. The scientists from the future used tachyons to transmit the message to those from the year 1999. The priest tells everybody of the same premonition. Tachyon is a Greek word meaning swift one. It's a subatomic particle that travels faster than light. Now, here's the, the crazy part. 
anything traveling faster than the speed of light would appear to be going backwards in the future. A future scientist calculates the exact spot that the Earth would occupy in space in the past, giving them a trajectory speed. He then breaks a tachyon and sends a signal at that spot, transmitting video information. So that's how they're communicating from the future to them now. So when they all had that, that crazy dream premonition, it's from the future. All right. Tachyons. Watchmen. All right. <clears throat> Lisa and Susan move the container into Kelly's room. Uh, Wyndham, a researcher stabbed to death, stands outside the church to tell the survival to survivors uh, to pray for death as he's co covered in insects and then his body disintegrates. Okay. Uh, now the brother, the other researcher, he's a brother. He stabs himself in the neck. He sees what was all what's going on. He can't take it. He can't handle it. He stabs himself in the neck. Uh, Lisa and Susan move the container into Kelly's room as she's sleeping. Brian and Professor discover the church is surrounded by homeless zombies. Walter goes into Kelly's room to discover the ceiling is covered in the green liquid pointing to Kelly's mouth and eyes. Dr. Leland is in, then infected by Lisa. Walter locks himself in a closet to escape Susan. Lomax, whose neck was broken, has been reanimated, and he's walking towards them. The survivors barricade themselves in a room. Dr. Lee wakes up infected. Walter sees that Kelly has been impregnated, but is still unconscious. Kelly's skin has decayed. If you remember this movie, her skin is is it's horribly burned, uh, melted away in spots. Okay, uh, the survivors attempt to tunnel Walter out of the closet because he's trapped in the closet. There's Kelly, Susan, and Lisa in one room trying to get to him, and the the, the survivors are on the other side of the of the room trying to break the walls to get him out. Okay. Lomax infects one of the survivors before being stabbed in the eye. Brian then takes out Dr. Levin. The survivors rescue Walter through a hole in the wall. Walter and the professor throw Lisa out of a window. Kelly finds a compact and looks into the mirror and says, Father, and is then able to stick her fingers into the mirror portal and then becomes upset and breaks the compact. Okay. Kelly stands in front of a mirror and says, Father, as the mirror lights up, the priest finds an axe as Kelly reaches her hand into the portal. Brian then takes on Collier, the guy who stabbed himself in the neck. The priest chops off Kelly's arm and her head, but Kelly uh, puts her head back on and regrows a new arm. <laughs> Kelly then puts the, pins the priest against the wall uh, with a dresser. Danforth is running and she sees this so kelly is reaching her hand into the portal to pull out uh the uh, the anti-god right so danforth sees brian fighting with somebody she sees kelly about to pull this thing out the, out of the mirror okay i'm sorry danforth danforth so then as kelly's pulling out she's like father come to freedom she sticks her hand in and then as kelly pulls the hand out it's this huge, huge, big hand. I mean, the forearm is massive. So you can imagine what this thing would look like, how big it would if it came through the portal. Okay. 
So then Danforth runs down the hall while Kelly sticks her hand back into the in the portal and says, Father, come to freedom. Then Danforth sees Brian fighting Collier and as Kelly begins to pull forth the anti-God, as you see the image of the massive hand and forearm, Danforth then throws herself into Kelly, knocking all three back into the void as the priest throws the axe against the mirror, shattering the mirror. And you on the other side of the image, you can see Danforth trying to swim back through the portal as the light goes out. It flickers and dims out. It's a horrifying scene. Just because you're like, oh, my God, what if, you know, could you imagine being on the other side of that thing trying to get out and the, the lights go out? OK. So then the priest then shatters the mirror with the axe as Danforth attempts to get back out and, and the light flickers, then goes out and all of the possessed minions drop dead and the homeless people be- that wander away. Walter then escapes and runs away. The next morning, the priest tells the professor, we stopped it. The priest tries to console Brian and says she died for us. The same dream message is plain, but the figure in the doorway is Danforth. So the same reoccurring dream, there's a rolling shot across the, the gate with, at, at, and the entrance of the church. So the o- opening scenes were, it was a black figure. Now that Danforth had crossed over, it's Danforth is the figure in the mirror. Brian wakes up to a disfigured Danforth in his dream. He wakes up again and then he goes to the mirror and reaches out to touch the mirror and scene. I cannot describe the tension in this movie. Uh, I didn't do it any justice. You would have to watch this movie. I remember watching it as a kid and it terrified the shit out of me. I didn't get it. Now that I've watched it again, it makes so much, so much sense. And like I said, the, the dread and the horror of, of watching Kelly pull the hand out through the portal. And you, you, so the, the, the story goes, everyone speculates it's the darkness from the legend movie which is why I, I kind of want to do those back to back. So if remember the, the legend movie, 1985, Tom Cruise, the darkness played by Tim Curry, excellent, excellent uh, pro- portrayal. If you ever thought of the devil or anything satanic, that was the image. Like, I don't know where they got the image from, but I think that's the perfect image for what you think. Anything is satanic. Um, so that was Prince of Darkness. I thoroughly enjoy watching this again as, as an adult. Okay. So now, I'm still saving Queen, Queen of the Dan for the end. So, what are we going to do with it? What did I say? Nope. Legend. So, let's just follow up with Legend. I, I just think it's a, it's a good way to tie in. Okay. I did not know this, this was a Ridley Scott film. Ridley Scott, Aliens. I didn't know this was his movie. 1985. Okay. Uh, so, there we have an opening narration from the Lord of Darkness. He says, Sunshine is his destroyer. Darkness summons uh, the Goblin Blix. Uh, there's a Star Wars reference in this movie. Okay. So Darkness says he feels a disturbance in the forest. A force he had mercifully forgotten. So if you remember that line from Star Wars, uh, I think it was episode four when Vader realized Luke and, and um, Obi-Wan were on the, were on the ship and Vader's talking to somebody mid-sentence. He's like, ah, uh, disturbance. I, a force I haven't felt in so long or whatever. And he just walks off. Star Wars reference right there. Okay. 
darkness wants Blix to bring him the horns from the two unicorns. Okay. And then we're introduced into to Lily the princess. Lily is a princess, but she's a a she's a wild card. She does what she wants to do. Okay. Uh, a handsmaid tells uh, Lily that magic is a wonderful thing. One day you'll find your own magic. We're introduced to Jack. Jack is played by Tom Cruise. Jack is the keeper or the guardian of the forest. Okay. Jack teaches Lily the ways of the forest. Jack then shows Lily the unicorns. Blix is following uh, Jack and Lily. Okay. So then Lily, being the wild card, she won- she runs out to the unicorns and wants to touch the unicorn against Jack's wishes. Okay. Because she- she's not supposed to interact with the animals like that anyway, because they're sacred animals. Uh, okay. One of the unicorns allows Lily to touch it as Blix prepares a poison dart. Then Blix fires his dart and hits its mark. Jack tells Lily what she did was against the rules and that these are sacred creatures. Lily says she doesn't care. She just wanted to touch it. Hmm. Blix is tracking down the unicorns. Lily discussed marriage to Jack. She throws her ring off a short cliff as Jack dives in to go get it. Blix finds the injured unicorn and dehorns it, seemingly killing it. Because we all thought once he chopped the horn off, we thought it was dead. So he has the horn. The weather goes from winter uh, to summer to winter. By the time Jack comes up for air, looking for the ring in the, in the in the pool or in the water, it's freezing. It's a blizzard. It's a blizzard. Okay. Lily runs back to the handsmaid home to find her frozen, uh, her handsmaid frozen to death, and everything covered in snow and ice. Jack is looking for Lily, and but is found by Thorn Gump and a fairy. So then, Blix kidnaps Lily, takes her back to the castle, to Lord Darkness's castle. Thorn Gump asks Jack if he's seen anything strange, any strange spirits. Jack confesses to letting Lily touch the unicorns, said he did it for love. Gump tells Jack, you can just, you can't upset the balance of the universe and not expect any consequences. Gump then asks Jack a riddle. Jack answers the riddle correctly. Jack uh, tracks down the dead, uh, the, the unicorn's body being protected by its mate. Jack tells Gump they must retrieve the dead unicorn's horn. While tracking Lily and the goblins, they encounter Meg, the water witch. Meg wants to eat Jack. Jack then decapitates her. Uh, while sneaking into the, ca- into, the, into the living tree. The living tree is where they w- all, all the creatures of the darkness would do their sacrifices. Okay. Uh, Jack, Gump, Bromtum, and uh, Screwball are captured. Una, the fairy, while attempting to find the key to free Brompton... And Screwball tries to seduce Jack. So uh, Una plays like she's Lily and tries to get Jack to kiss her. And he doesn't fall for it. She becomes upset because she likes Jack. All right. Uh, Back in the castle. Darkness pledges to his father that Lily is a distraction and he's smitten with her. Father tells Darkness because her soul is pure, he must woo her. Because her heart still remembers. Father tells Darkness to make her one of us. And Lily is running through the castle. 
the palace has a checkerboard floor. Now remember back in the early 80s and 90s, the obvious the obvious signs were the checkerboard, checkerboard floor. All right. Like you just couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't get away from it. Oh, thank you faces. Thanks, hon. I appreciate it. So yeah, a lot of these old, older movies, the checkerboard was, was your first clue. Okay. 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 So then Lily becomes enchanted by the jewelry from darkness. There's a dancing black suit, a black dress. And it dances its way over to Lily. Then upon command, uh, the dress is now being worn by Lily because there's this, this dance. And uh, the, 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 the dress is like a living dress. And it seduces her. And they do a dance together. And then one scene, cut scene, all of a sudden, then it's Lily dancing in the dress. In the black. She's all goth out, black makeup, black lipstick. Her hair's curled and, and like finger waves, black. It looks good. For, for a gothy thing, you know? Okay. So Lily is decked out in all black. Darkness. Then steps through a mirror. And reveals himself to Lily. So there's cut scenes where you see his hand come out. He's got these long black claws. His hoof steps out. <laughs> and then he steps through. He's got these huge black horns. He's got these yellow piercing eyes. He's the most... Yo, I, you know, like to this day, like when I think about evil, like if I thought about what the devil would look like, that would be it would be that 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 character. Like it it to me personifies what I think the devil would look like, even though it's, you know, you know, not the real thing. But it's still um, so he, he he steps through. He's just he's just fucking huge. He's huge. And he's got this proper English accent. This is Tim Curry. All right. And then she's instantly frightened. So darkness tells her. She's wearing a bridal gown. He tells her she's his mate, right? He tells her it was a, it was sin. It was her sin that trapped the unicorn. Jack, Gump, and Una are locked behind the palace door. Darkness plans to kill the remaining female unicorn. Brompton and Screwball set up a reflective shield in a specific places leading from the outside down to the dungeon to the, to the palace. So their plan is to use the sunlight. They got to use angles Shield angles to reflect the beam of sunlight from the top all the way through to the bottom into the palace. Okay. At geometry, basically. All right. So then Brompton is when oh, and the second clue in this movie, Brompton is wearing a checkerboard scarf. Now, why in the hell is an elf in medieval time in middle age, middle earth, right? Why is an elf in middle during middle earth wearing a checkerboard scarf? Like I was just like, Really? But it's 1985. So, you know, they had to throw it in there. All right. So then Darkness attempts to woo Lily with more opulence. Lily tells Darkness he's stolen her dreams away. Darkness says the dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Now, his accent is awesome. So you just have to hear him speak and how he talks to her in such a very uh, commanding, but yet almost... um, it's respectful, but it's commanding at the same time. Their, their interaction. She's like a loose wild cannon. And he's like, okay, I know you're a child. And I could just, I could snap my fingers and destroy you. But I like you. So I'm going to let you play a little bit. That type of banter between them. Okay. And like I said, his accent just makes it that much better. Um, so darkness says the dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. 
Through dreams, he influenced mankind. He offers her his heart, soul, and love. Lily begins to feign interest in darkness and angers him. <laughs> now, this is where you see the, the, the real him come out because he, he snaps and he throws the food off the table <laughs> and he walks up on her. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then she starts laughing at him. <laughs> the whims of a woman. This is this is the perfect example to me of how women and men interact. The women is like woman is like flighty and just like doesn't take anything serious. The guy's all serious and gruff, right? And she pisses him off and he gets mad and he walks up on her. He's not gonna do anything, but he's just he walks up on her and she's just like, ha 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 ha. That's that's a woman for you. No diss, but I just like the how they played it off in, in this particular scene between those two. All right. So then <laughs> the unicorn. Oh, okay. Darkness says when the perfect void was corrupted by the light, there was a great wailing and the brothers of the night all fled. The unicorn is being prepped to be killed. Gump tells Jack she is one of them and to kill her. Lily then strikes the chain, freeing the, uni the unicorn while Jack fires an arrow into the neck of the darkness. Darkness charges Jack while Gump continuously fires arrows at Darkness. So imagine Darkness charging and the dude is just firing arrows and arrows are just sticking in him and it's, it's not phasing him. So he charges Jack. Jack's against the wall. He lunges at Jack. The horns hit the wall and the Darkness is looking at him. There's this sword fight between the two, okay? Uh, so while they're sword fighting, Jack saves the slain unicorn's horn then stabs, then stabs darkness in his stomach with it. Uh, while Brompton angles the sunlight at the top of the castle to bear the beam off the other shields throughout the dungeon into the palace, it strikes darkness in the chest. Darkness then begs his father to protect him. Darkness, while being sucked back into the void, grabs the doorway and says, what is light without dark? I'm a part of you all. We are brothers eternal. Jack then severs Darkness's hand and Darkness is thrown back into the void. Jack then goes back to the shallow cliff to retrieve the ring Lily threw over. Jack retrieves the ring and places it on Lily's uh, finger, kisses and breaks the spell she was under. The severed horn is reattached to the unicorn. So we all thought it was dead in the beginning. It is not. So they reattach the horn. Unicorn comes back to life. They run off and do what unicorns do. Lily awakens and says she's learned something about herself and that Jack is her prince. So they run off. And then the closing scene is the two unicorns, Gump, the fairy, and the elves all waving goodbye to Jack and Lily. And scene. That was legend. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're if you're over 40 and you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what to tell you. It's a it's a classic, regardless. It's a classic movie. Now, now let's see what else. What else? Oh, give me one minute. Give me one minute for Grace. Okay, they run. Yeah, this is what unicorns do. They do. They do unicorn stuff. 
All right, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna go into uh Queen of the Damned. Now, there's a lot of backstory to this, so please bear with me. There will be parts where I will have to give backstories to certain characters in this movie because if you read the novels by Anne Rice, you know what I'm talking about. But if you watch this movie and never never read any of the novels, you're gonna be lost and you're gonna be like, that doesn't make sense. There's no continuity, and I'm here to fill in the blanks for you guys, okay? All right, so Queen of the Dam. Now, this is, I think Aaliyah's birthday was two days ago. Rest in peace to this woman. This woman didn't stand a chance. Let's, let me get this out the way real quick. So Aaliyah didn't stand a chance. Uh, if you remember, she was on Star Search. A lot of people forget Star Search was also like a Nickelodeon, like a Disney. It was, all, it was a grooming site for children, just like uh, the show now, Amer uh, Kids Got Talent. Right. Uh, these are grooming sites for children. So uh, a lot of a lot of people came through Star Search. Ed, Ed McMahon was the host. Old heads remember Star Search. OK, I remember. Uh, who was the fat girl? The fat girl. Mon uh, the, the TV show with Monique. Countess Vaughn came through uh, Star Search. Now, I don't care about the sacrificing part of the girl. The parents sold her out. Her, her her uncle and, and 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 cousin Barry and Jomo sold her out. She didn't stand a chance. Now the sad part is, when after the plane crash, when they found her body, her body was covered in snakes. Her body was found in like a shallow marsh, because you know they crashed in and they're in the Bahamas. This is Bahamas, and they crashed not too far from a marsh, and and all everybody's bodies were covered in snakes. Yeah. And then, as you notice, uh, you know, you notice Aaliyah's career as she got became more popular. Her look became more darker. Okay, you know, notice like all the pop stars when they're young, really bright, uh, airy color schemes. As they progress and get older and turn into sex kittens, it gets darker. It gets uh, more sexual, right? You see cat ears and 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 shit like that. Okay. So uh, you, if you go back and look at her career, you see when she went from bright and airy to kind of like goth and dark, gothy and dark. Okay. All right. So let's get into it. <clears throat> now, like I said, bear with me. It's a lot to, uh, to cover with Queen of the Dam. So just bear with me. It's a whole lot. And we're going to go through all of it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There we go. Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned. Now, Akasha. Okay, not just the character, but the Akasha records are. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a. It, it, it means ether. It's Sanskrit for ether or sky. These are the when they say the Akashic records. The Akashic records is the living. Uh, recordings of all thoughts and feelings and emotions of everything that uh, humans have experienced. Okay, now there's claims that people can tap into these things and, and go into the old histories, the art, old art, human archives, and find out what you were thinking, who this would, you know, what I'm saying. So, like, a, it's a it's like a living uh, library for human thoughts and emotions. Okay, now that being said. Now, in this universe, Akasha was the first vampire in existence. She was called the Great Mother. She was born in Uruk, 
which was used to be called well, okay, Yurik used to be called it's called Iraq. Okay. So she was born in Iraq. She's possessed by the spirit of Amel. The spirit of Amel is what turned Akasha into a vampire. She was born 12,000 BC. Now, Amel is the essence of vampirism. Now, the backstory, there was Akasha and there was Enkil. Okay? Now, for those that understand, Enkil and Enlil were brothers. Now, the story for Enkil and Enlil was, Enkil was the bad brother, Enlil was the good brother. In those doctrines, if you went to hell, you went under Enkil, you had to go uh, mine gold underground. And it was hot. That was hell. Enlil was a good brother. So if you went to heaven, you went to you went to go hang out with en, with Enlil. Does it? You guys are all following me. Does it make sense? Have, has anyone ever heard these stories before? Okay. So now, Enkil, Akasha, were kings and queens in Egypt. They were good people, right? But they wanted to clean up Egypt. I'm giving you backstory. I'm not even talking about the movie right now. I'm giving you backstory to, to kind of fill you guys in. So Akasha and Enkil banned cannibalism. They banned, they, they wanted to clean up a lot of the uh, habits of Egypt. Cannibalism was one of them. So they forbade cannibalism. There's two witches. Okay, two Victoria. Okay, there's two, there's two witches. Right, they're uh, pretty popular. They're, they're seers, right? Their rituals is is cannibalism. So when a loved one dies, they consume the brain and heart. So so what ended up happening was Akasha went to these witches. They she wanted to get a vision. She didn't like what they had to say. So and then one at one point they were caught doing what they do, one of their rituals. She locked them up, threw them in jail. Right, sent an inquisitor. She asked him for another vision. Didn't work out. She had their eyes cut out, their tongue cut out. She had one of her stewards rape the twins in front of everybody. The one twin, Maharit, had a child named Miriam. As revenge, the sisters sent the spirit of Amel to possess Akasha and Enkil. So they being the first vampires, they and they they suffered for bloodlust. So they would they would constantly thirsty for blood. So they ended up killing a whole bunch of people. So Akasha went back to the sisters and said, "Look." We can't be killing everybody to help us, you know, the bloodlust. Help us clear up the bloodlust. She said they they told her. For every progeny you have, it will lessen your taste for blood. So the more vampires you create, it will it will lessen your need for for the bloodlust. OK, just bear with me, y'all. So then, OK, a conscious like, OK. So what does she do in the end? She bound the sisters in concrete, a special concrete. She put them on a boat, sailed one east, and one went west. One went to Africa. The other one went to Europe. 
So then they sought Amel and said, possess us, give, give us the power of vampirism, which he did. So then they end up creating their own progeny. So what ended up happening is their progeny down the road came back for vengeance against Akasha and, and, and uh, Enkil. Okay. This is that universe. This is the universe we're in right now. Okay. Once again, you would have to have read some of those Anne Rice novels um, and just kind of know the backstory of this particular universe that, that they set up. So once again, as I go into this, I will be filling in blanks of certain characters in this particular movie that you may not be privy to. Okay. That is your, that's a very brief backstory of Akasha and Enkil in this movie. Wait, wait. Okay. So then one more thing. The spirit of Amel comes from a family of vampires, spirits, and replimoids. Replimoids were created by bird-like creatures called the parents. They are immortal. Okay. All right. Woo, shit. That was just a prologue. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. New Orleans. Narration by Lestat about the pros and cons of immortality. Lestat is awakened after a 100-year slumber by rock music. He crashes a band rehearsal, introduces himself, and appoints himself as the new band leader. The vampire Lestat becomes a huge success. Lestat, uh, interview with a vampire. Brad Pitt, that movie too. That would help if you watch that particular movie as well to kind of give you a backstory of Lestat. Um, Lestat like I said, Lestat has his own novel. And it's 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 a huge fuck. I've not to this day have not gotten through that particular novel. It's a fucking huge novel. You know, Anne Rice, she writes her ass off. Her books are like this fucking thick. All right. Okay. Um mm-hmm. okay, Lestat breaks the vampire code of secrecy. He gives away vampire secrets in his song lyrics. Lestat invites two groupies back to his home in West Glastonbury. Uh they begin to crawl around on the on the it's a checkerboard floor in his in his palace. Okay, <laughs> he begins to, cl- to climb on the walls and the ceiling, and then they taxed and feeds on the two girls. Lestat calls out to a girl named Jessie. He's been calling out to her since the age of six. Jessie was in the care of Muhammad or Maharet. Maharet is one of the twin sisters from the prologue. Okay, now. Here, now this Maharet, let me let me break it down real quick for y'all. Just bear with me because it, it helps to fill in this stuff in. Okay, so Maharet, uh, she was part of the twins, the red hair twin. She'd been raped. She had the kid. Um, ooh, do I even, do I even need to cover this part of it? I don't need to cover this part. Yeah, so yeah. So in the in the backstory, they were performing cannibalistic funeral rites for their mother. The queen made a policy of stamping it out. They sent soldiers to the yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't need to go into that. All right, all right, okay. So Maharet has she keeps the family vampire tree, and she also watches out for humans in her in her care. Jesse is a human that was in her care. All right. Uh, Maharet and her sister Makari 
were hereditary witches. Okay. Maharet had bore a child from Cayman named Miriam. All right. So you already know that. Maharet tells Jesse to be with her own kind. Jesse goes to Talamasca in London to prevent, uh, to, to, oh, to do more research on Lestat. She suspects Lestat is leading uh, everyone into a, into a, leading everyone to a, a vampire coven. So in his song lyrics, it's called the Admiral of Arms. She figures out Admiral Arms is a pub in England. It's a it's a host for a vampire coven where he frequents. Jesse figures this out. So she's like, um, you know, like like Hellboy, the uh, the society that just watches everything and, and observes. They watch all the spooky shit go down and they observe the shit. That's what she does. She's like a watcher. She's belongs to a society of watchers that are privy to all this information. They, they know about vampires. So she, she's one of those. Okay. But she falls in too deep. Uh, David, head of the uh, Talamasca, David tells Jesse they know about Lestat. David shows Jesse old paintings of the vampire that turned Lestat. His name is Marius de Demond. No, no. Marius de Romano. Okay. Now his backstory. We need to get into his backstory because he's important. He's very, very important. Marius is the keeper of the living statues of Akasha and Enkil. Okay. Marius was a citizen of Rome, born in 30 BC. He was abducted by Druids. He had learned all the Druid ways. And then the God of the Grove, who was the original uh, keepers of the statue, became badly burned because uh, someone put their statues in the sun to kill them. Right. So then uh, he, he learned the ways of the vampires. Uh, the God of the Grove was revealed to be uh, Tesh Common in Prince Lestat. He makes Marius a vampire. Uh, Marius escaped the Druids. Found Akasha and Kiel in their inanimate state. He removes them from the keeper's clutches with Akasha's urging and consent. So even though she's a living statue, she can still communicate telepathically with all the all the vampires. All right. Uh, so he's in charge of keeping them safe while they're in their inanimate state. He is the one that found Lestat. He turned them. So that's his backstory in this particular movie in this universe. Okay, he has kids, he has his own coven. Um, they do a they do a coven at one time, they're followers of Satan. There's a whole bunch of it, it's huge, a lot of shit. It's a lot of shit with the Marius guy. Okay, so now, uh, Lestat de Lioncourt is his, is his full name. Uh, Marius tells Lestat his version of the origins of the vampire race of Akasha and Akil. Who sits as statues in a shrine in Marius's island. Marius is later forced to send Lestat away after Lestat boldly drinks from Akasha. We'll get into that in this movie. All right. Uh, okay. So now that's Marius's backstory. Okay. Okay. Back to the movie. Jesse, Jesse reads from Lestat's journal. Lestat met Marius in 1788. He was taken to his island in the Mediterranean. Marius chose Lestat to learn the vampire ways and to help him navigate the pending future. 
Marius teaches Lestat the vampire's life is that of discretion. You must be dead to the world. Lestat, um, Lestat discovered Akasha and Enkil's living statues. Akasha calls out to Lestat and actually turns her hand over. Because she's sitting on the, on the throne, hands on her lap. She moves her hand and turns her wrist open for him to drink from her. Marius uh, ties Lestat up and begins to explain Akasha and Enkil. Marius is upset that Akasha chose Lestat. Marius abandons Lestat. Jesse tracks down the vampire coven and sneaks in to find vampires feeding on humans. The vampires question, question when her, where her host is. Lestat sees her. Jesse is con- cornered by three vampires, but Lestat res- rescues her. Lestat questions how much Jesse knows about him. He knows she's a Talamascan. Uh, Jesse tells David she met Lestat. David tells Jesse the other vamps are furious at Lestat and want to kill him. Marius visits Lestat after 200 years. Marius tells Lestat his music has awakened an old friend, referring to Akasha. Akasha has arisen. She drank and kills blood. So there's a scene where the th- her throne is empty and you see Enkil's neck has been ripped out where she drank his blood. And she's on her way to find Lestat. Marius tells Lestat she's a god and he's no match for her. Akasha shows up at the vampire coven in England. The coven tell Akasha they're going to dismember and bleed him dry, referencing uh, Lestat. She's like, oh, oh, really? Okay. So then <laughs> Akasha... Then rips out a coven member's heart and eats it. She then begins to kill every vampire in the coven with little effort. Jesse arrives before Lestat's performance in LA. She sneaks in with another groupie into his penthouse and he lets Jesse stay. Jesse returns Lestat's journal to him and wants to know what it's like to be a vampire. This is like Twilight before Twilight, the, the real pasty. Milky white vampires. <laughs> this is like this is Twilight way before Twilight. Okay, uh, Lestat finally under uh, under. Okay, Lestat finally understands the beauty of being human through Jesse. Jesse offers herself to Lestat, but he rebuffs, turning her away. He then takes her, and they find another vampire that's about to feed. But Lestat runs him off, and then he feeds on a female victim and asks Jesse, "Is this what you want?" David tracks Jesse down in Death Valley, but briefly runs into Marius. The vampire covens are in the audience during uh, Lestat's performance. He's kind of egging them on, and you can see them all in hoods throughout the audience. So the Talamascans are also in the audience looking for Jesse. The coven fly out of the audience to attack Lestat. Marius joins the fight to help Lestat. So you got Lestat and, and Marius fight off a bunch of vampires and they're all just flying in. Okay. So then Akasha shows up. She blows the stage up. She shows up. She kills remaining coven members and reveals herself. She then flies off with Lestat. Akasha offers Lestat her companionship. She reveals she's the one that kept him alive. Uh, It's oh, it's also said in the backstory that Akasha and Enkil could not have intercourse. But it's implied that Akasha and Lestat did. They're in the bathtub scene with the roses. Plot hole. Uh, back at the Mojave Desert, Jesse is reunited with Mahar- Maharet. 
Maharet reveals her fa- her vampire family tree. Lestat discovers he's immune to sunlight and discovers the resort is full of dead bodies from Akasha. She killed every uh, resort full of people. Akasha blood gives him the power of sunlight immunity. Okay. All right, we got a caller. Call it what's happening. I'm good. How are you? Well, uh, I will give you a super chat on Broke as Fuck. It's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had to uh, first got some money to send you about nine cases of uh, Black Burn Liquid Geno or something. <laughs> and uh, I gave you the, uh, the Ultraman uh, Safe Walker. So, therefore, even if your wife tried to just cut the head with the iron pan, it will break. I appreciate it that. Be, uh, it should be fine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, uh, I got a story to tell you. Uh, my friend Toriano had some trouble with uh, his ancestor Shango, and I consulted the uh, Star Trek Society Oracle, and uh, I said a few uh, choice card uh, matches to help uh, heal the chakra. And Shango told Toriano to listen to what Konshu you have to say. And I asked Toriano, who is this Kenshu Kosu they talking about? And he said, Edward, that uh, one Kenshu talking about is you. That is your ancestral name because he also goes, you first incarnate on this planet as Kenshu, the traveler. Interesting. So uh, I was in the hospital uh, a while back, back in 97. And all of a sudden, this intern turned his light off and asked me some questions. And I asked you, uh, who are you? What are you doing here? And why have you uh, turned the light off? He said, uh, Edward, I've come a long way to instruct you about your path and what you have to do. So I just want to tell you, I've come from a far place away. You will not see me again. The Creator sent me to give you a token. This token is a double-tailed coin. And I had that coin ever since 1997. This is when I was, uh, 27 years old before my 28th birthday. So I look at the quarter. It has an eagle on one side and an eagle on the other side. It has no date. In ancient times, when a certain deity wanted to uh, give you a certain uh, sigil or token of your destiny, he would give it to you through a coin, like uh, you see this certain sigil coin for the temples of Hercules or Aphrodite or Athena. So I'm up here, you know, chilling at dinner time. This white lady in glasses up there bothering me. She asked, uh, Mr. Bailey, can you help me out with something? Can you just uh, shake my hand for a moment? So I shook her hand for a moment and held her hand for three seconds. And all of a sudden, her arthritis was healed. So I did a study of what Kenshi was all about 
and the gods of the Egyptians by E.A. Wallace Burns. And I have the book right in front of me. And I found out that Kenshu is the son of Amun and Mut, the third of the triad of faith. And then I did some further research and that the Amun priesthood was the most powerful priesthood of all time. There are the priesthood mentioned in the uh, 1955 book by George M. James, Stone Legacy. And George M. James was a professor at uh, Arkansas A&M College, which is now known today as UAPB, University of Arkansas Flying Buff. And it's interesting to note that the lion is their mascot symbol. The lion is the sigil totem of Amun-Ra. And slides, so I was born on August the 15th, 1959. I guess what my sign is. The lion? What is it? Yes, I've been roaring and uh, putting down messed up crackers, niggas, and bitches ever since 1989. So when I uh, mention certain sources to help YouTubers on their way, but they are sort of lost like uh, Taz, the greatest great ape of all, all time. He seemed to have a certain uh, emotional fit when arguing with uh, Ramil on the panel today. But I said, Ramil, you know, uh, he's lacking in uh, potassium. Potassium helps you calm down a bit. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let me send him uh, a case of uh, white green grapes and two cases of bananas, which are rich in potassium. That should help Taz, the greatest great ape of all time, calm down. So, uh, I'm up to see with these YouTubers, and they think that just because they've read two or three books, they're all of a sudden scholars. But they're still on the retarded remedial tangent because they can't even get the metaphors and words right. And you know what? I asked uh, a certain YouTuber, have you heard of the uh, philosophies of the opinions of Marcus Garvey? Because he was the one that originated the red, black, and green of the pro-black movement back in the 1900s. Because he came to NAACP, he was asking, what the black folks at? All I see is these uh, beige babies. And, you know, you look at the black Panthers, the black father, father, self-defense in the 60s, you come in there with some uh, Irish or Muslim babies, they're going to tell you, oh, you're in the wrong place. You need to go and skedaddle. And now look at Irene Yvette's foolish bitch ass. Oh. Got oh. babies in the chat. Yeah. yeah I, she has the nerve to lecture about blackness. Yeah, I, 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 I'm and with you. Word. I, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. We, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Ed, 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 I, I hear you. I'm sorry. I hear you, brother. I, I feel you. I, we are in. I'm sorry, man, but the, uh, but the fury of our morale is in. Yes. And me as Kongshu, Kongshu never hates him. I have come to feed people to feed the revolution. And we. And I do recommend certain YouTubers to check out this album called Dark Sunlight, is featuring Brother Jay called the Seeds of Revolution because Brother James to be a member of the X-Clan. 
I remember. I remember. And uh, he's known as a verbalist. And, you know, his uh, teacher said, to those who try to interfere in the path of one who is on his way to become the master, I say to you and us, peace. Now, I'm up there on my journey. And I've been initiated in the uh, Ocala Nations and the Tribal Incorporated back in October the 5th, 1996. And I have made United States history as being the first Olmec Black Native American to be initiated. I'm the only black person there. Now, when I received my medicine uh, shield, it was then told of the horse. The uh, life told him of the turtle. But it's my warrior total, the uh, my warrior energy being earth. That and I got the totem of the west. Well, well I got the within totem of the horse, and the southern totem of the beaver, and the northern totem of the whale, which is the record keeper of the land of the familiar. <laughs> I got the eastern totem, which is the hawk, which is Heru, looking toward the east. And I got the left totem called the lynx, which is the keeper of the secret. Gotcha. And no, no, it. Not to not to cut you off. No, no, that's no. What you all you said was real shit, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you. We are in alignment. That, that, that was also that was also my first experience with the occult because when I got initiated to the Native American circle, I couldn't bring no books or nothing, and I had to be in the sweat lodge for three hours with the elders. I saw two elders come in with long hair, long white hair, and high cheekbones. Now, I had to be in there for three hours with the side rocks of the sweet grass. If I would have walked out of there, they would never talk to me again. Right. And I found out that my Native American name is Seven Moon Pestic Peaceful Warrior. Peaceful Warrior is my medicine name. That's that's what's up. Native American tradition means magical power and magical right. Gotcha. Got it. So I look, so I look at the Seven Moons epic, and the Seven refers to the Pleiades. And I'm up there asking my teacher, Grandmother Selma, and that's my other teacher, Red Wolf Shadow Warrior. What does the seven mean? I said, well, Edward, this means the seven pleasing. Hey, Ed, so let me. Right. No, I, I'm with you. Let me let me stop you there, brother, because I got some other calls on the line as, as well that want to get on, if you don't mind. And um, I appreciate. Yeah, i tell you what. Give me a holler back at 501 I got you. I'll just like you, sir. Okay. Appreciate it. Right, yes, sir. Thank you, Ed, for the call. Calls are always appreciated. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy the feedback from everybody. This is our thing together. Okay, it's not about me. It's about all of us. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get back to uh, Queen of the Dam. Oh. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, Ann Rice was from New Orleans. Thank you for, uh, that information, uh, that was sent to me. And, uh, an Ann Rice, Ann Rice quote, she says that the earth is beautiful, yet it still belongs to the dead. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's, let's continue with the, uh, okay. So with the breakdown, so yes, uh, Akasha, Kills everybody at the resort. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Lestat questions 
why she killed them all. Akasha says they believed in nothing and now they are nothing. Marius and Maharet and the others plan to kill Akasha to save the vampire family from destruction. Akasha shows up. Akasha says humans are animals and does uh, and does not want to coexist with them. Lestat is introduced as Akasha's new king and tells Lestat to kill Jesse as proof of his love for Akasha. Now he goes over there and bites her, seemingly killing her. Right? Then the family tree begins to drip blood on the wall. Lestat demands his crown from Akasha. Lestat begins to feed off Akasha. She gives him, you know, her arm to feed. And then he begins to overfeed. And she's like, enough, stop, stop, enough. And then the other vampires decide to uh, attack her. That's their, that's their opening. Because he, as he's feeding, feeding on her arm, he looks at the other vampires like, okay, y'all can do this now. So they all jump her pretty much. She kills about two of them. And then her powers are beginning to fade because they're all starting to feed off of her. Right? So Lestat begins to drink her, drink her dry. <clears throat> the Maharet stops him. So in the backstory is whoever drinks the last drop of blood from Akasha becomes the new queen of the damned. She becomes a new living statue. So Akasha then turns into a blackened statue and then dissipates. Maharet then becomes the new living statue. Lestat revives Jesse. Lestat and Jesse later go visit David. Lestat gives David his journal. Jesse says her final goodbye to David because she's officially a vampire now. Her and Lestat are a couple and they fly off. Marius then comes back to visit David. End scene. Okay. So that was Queen of the Damned. Pretty much broken down. Um, yeah, there's two scenes of the checkerboard floor in... Uh, Lestat's home in West Glastonbury. Uh, so I, I think I pretty much covered everything with this particular movie and backstory. If someone broke it down better than me, I'd like to see them try. So I'm not going to end it there. We're going to do one more. We're going to do Rosemary's Baby. I just finished watching this thing last night. Roman Polanski. You know Roman Polanski, the guy that fled to Sweden because he's, you know, like little girls and Still hasn't been brought to justice. And this is who Nicki Minaj channels. Because someone had, had asked me, well, yo, how can you channel somebody that's alive? They don't have to be dead to channel somebody. She's always channeling Roman Polanski, that, that side of him. Um, you don't have to be dead for someone to, to channel you or to channel someone. Okay? They can be alive. Right? All right. So 1968. 1968. This is my first time. Watching this movie all the way through. Literally, I watched this thing all the way through for the first time last night. I know, right? So, (laughs) this movie is crazy as fuck. This movie is crazy as fuck. So, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Mia Farrow, of course, Woody Allen's ex, right? Uh, Okay, let's get into it. Rosemary and her husband, Guy. Move into a New York apartment. The former tenant died. Her belongings are still there. Rosemary comes across some some of her notes. It reads, I can no longer associate myself. 
There's a high boy blocking a closet door. A high boy is like a double chested, a double, a it's like a, a really big dresser, right? There's one called a fat boy, and there's one called a high boy. All right, the high boy is really tall, but it's a, a really high, it's a really tall, a really tall dresser. Okay. Uh, there's a high boy blocking a closet door. Hutch is trying to talk them out of taking the apartment. He tells them the Trench sisters were Victorian women that cooked and ate several children and their niece. Adrian Marcato practiced witchcraft, says he conjured up the living devil. The tenants believed him and nearly killed him in the lobby of the hotel. This oh, that, oh, or the apartment. I'm sorry, the, the apartment complex called the Bramford's. Branford apartment complex. Hutch says this building has a high incident of unpleasant happenings. In 1959, a dead infant was found wrapped in newspaper in the basement. This is their new home. Guy and Rosemary are moving in. Later on that night, they have sex in their new apartment. Days go by as they renovate the new apartment. Rosemary meets a tenant by the name of Terry Genefinero. A bottle breaks mysteriously behind them in the basement. Later that night, Guy and Rosemary hear chanting from the next door neighbors. The next night after, Terry is found dead on the sidewalk, apparently from a fall out of the apartment. Mr. Castavets says he knew it would happen because she was depressed three weeks prior. Terry left a suicide letter. Next day, Rosemary is visited by Mrs. Castavets. They have dinner with the Castavets. Mr. Castavets talks the hypocrisy of organized religion. Rosemary notices that the Castavets took their pictures down. The next day, Mrs. Castavets brings her friend, Laura Laus, uh, over, and they give Rosemary a necklace as a gift. This necklace is the same necklace that Terry was wearing Two nights prior, this necklace uh, contains it's called tennis root. Now, in this for this movie, it's a fake root; it's not a real thing. But in this particular backstory for this universe, it's called it's it's a uh, it's it's a root used for witchcraft. Okay, guy gets a, a part in a movie when the original lead goes blind. So, guy's like a struggling actor. He gets his big break, but the guy before him that, that had the original part goes blind. So that's how guy got his, his break. Rosemary tells Hutch about Terry's suicide. Guy wants to have a baby. Mrs. Castavets brings over pudding. And when eating the pudding, Rosemary says it has a chalky aftertaste. Guy says he doesn't taste it. He doesn't taste anything. Later on that night, Rosemary falls ill and passes out. Guy disrobes Rosemary and has sex with her while she's passed out. Rosemary has visions of being on a yacht and seeing the Sistine Chapel. She lays on a bed naked in front of cult members that are all naked. The Castavets are there as well. Mrs. Castavet says she sees nothing. She ate the mouse she can't hear. She's like dead. 
Her legs are then tied down and a demonic figure then scratches her body and has sex with her. She looks into the eyes of the demon. She then kisses the Pope's ring, then is awakened by Guy the next morning. Guy tells her she passed out and admits to sleeping with her while she was passed out because he didn't want to miss the conception date. Rose says she she believes she, she dreamed she was raped by something un, inhuman. All right. Later on, Rosemary is confirmed pregnant. Her due date is June 28th. Guy tells the cast of vets they recommend an OBGYN by the name of Abe Saperstein. He delivers all the society babies. Rose puts on the necklace given to her by Mrs. Castavetz. Dr. Sapien tells Rose to take vitamin shakes given to her by Mrs. Castavetz. Rose cuts her hair. Vidal says soon. Okay. Rose goes to visit Hutch. Hutch says she looks terrible. He says you're supposed to gain weight, not lose weight. Mr. Castavetz then shows up to visit Rose and meets Hutch. Rosemary notices that Roman, Mr. Castavetz, has pierced ears. Hutch looks at Rose's necklace and says it looks like a fungus or a mold and not a root. Hutch does research and wants to meet with Rose the next day. Rose is looking very gaunt. She goes to meet Hutch. Hutch never shows up. Rose calls his apartment and leaves and learns he's in a coma from Grace. All of a sudden, Rose runs into Mrs. Castavetz. The new year rolls around and Rose eats pan-seared steaks and raw meats and begins to pour out Mrs. Castavetz's vitamin shakes. Rose and Guy have a party amongst their peers. No Castavetz, no Saperstein, no Laura Laus. Rose begins to break down and cry. She's in constant pain since November. Rose tells Guy she's going to doc she's going back to Dr. Hill and not Saperstein. Guy yells at Rose and calls her friends bitches. Rose wants to get a second opinion. Rose says then the pain suddenly stopped and she can feel the baby moving. Literally, in this conversation, they're yelling at each other, and all of a sudden the pain stops. And she sits down on the chair. She's like, I can feel it moving. Okay. Grace calls to tell Rose that Hutch is dead. Grace meets Rose at Hutch's funeral and tells Rose the book he was researching for her was an anagram. The book arrives in the mail for Rose. It's called All of Them Witches. Tannis Root is called The Devil's Fungus. Adrian Marcato is in the book. He was attacked outside the apartment, not in the lobby. Rose discovers the anagram for all them witches is Roman Castavetz. Mr. Castavet is the son of Adrian Marcato. Rose shows Guy what she discovered. Rose tells Guy there were covens. They use baby's blood because it's the most powerful. Rose wants to move out of the apartment 
God takes the book from her. Rose tells Saperstein her discoveries. Saperstein tells Rose, Roman is dying. The Castavets leave for a trip overseas. Rose is looking for her book. He tells her he put it in the garbage. The next day on her way to the library, Rose discards her necklace into a sewer drain. Rose picks up a book on witchcraft and it reads, Many people during that time died supposedly natural deaths. The united mental force of the whole, of the whole coven could blind, deafen, paralyze, and kill chosen victims. The use of a united mental force is called a coven. Donald Baumgart was the guy that originally had the part in front of Guy. Donald Baumgart went blind. Okay? So then, some cults believed a personal possession of the victim is necessary. Now, during their initial meeting with Hutch and Mr. Kasovitz, before Hutch left her apartment, he couldn't find his glove. Rose calls Donald Baumgart and apologizes for his condition. She asks, uh, she asks him, does he remember missing anything? He says Guy traded ties with Donald. Dun, dun, dun. Rose goes to see Saperstein. She picks up a Time magazine, and on the cover is God, is God Dead. That, that's the name of the article on the, on the cover. The nurse says she smells different from her old scent. Rose says it was tennis root. The nurse mentions Saperstein has that same smell. Rose then leaves his office to call Dr. Hill and leaves a message for him. Dr. Hill returns her call. She tells him there's a plot against her and her baby and agrees to see her later on at his office. Rose explains her theory to Dr. Hill and gives him the witchcraft book as proof. Dr. Hill knows of Dr. Saperstein. Dr. Hill makes arrangements to send her to Mount Sinai. While resting in his office, she has visions of her holding her baby. Then she's awakened. Dr. Hill lets in Saperstein and Guy. They threaten her with going to an insane asylum if she doesn't leave with her. On their way to the apartment, Rose drops her purse, then runs to an elevator. She then locks him out of the apartment. Rose then calls Elise, but she is out to the movies. The coven sneaks in through the partition and is giving and is given and gives Rose a sedative while she's being restrained. She then goes into labor. And the phone rings. Guy answers the phone and says she'll call her back. Rose then blacks out and awakens to Guy looking at her. They have a boy. Guy has a very sinister looking face on a look on his face. Rose awakens after a nap and wants to see her baby. Saperstein and Guy say the baby died because it was in the wrong position. Rose becomes irate and says, you're lying. You took it, you witches. The next day, Rose awakens and Guy tells Rose she had prepartum issues. Rose asks, to see Guy's left shoulder. She finds no mark. Rose then hears a baby crying in the Castavet's apartment. She forced, she's forced to pump breast milk and then stops taking the pills. 
Rose tells Guy she heard a baby crying. Rose then grabs a steak knife, then enters through the closet secret compartment that was initially being blocked by the high boy in the very beginning of the movie. She enters the cast of Vet's apartment and sees various paintings. Then walks in on all the coven members, including the cast of Vets, Guy, and Saperstein. There's a painting of Adrian Marcato above the fireplace. Rosemary then looks at the baby in horror and asks, what have you done to its eyes? Roman says, he has his father's eyes. Rose says, guy's eyes are normal. What have you done to him, you maniacs? Roman says, Satan is his father, not guy. He came up from hell and begat a son with a mortal woman. They all begin to chant, Hail Satan. <laughs> Satan is his father, and his name is Adrian. He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance, vengeance in the name of the burned and tortured. Hail Adrian. Mrs. Castavet says, out of all the women in the world, he chose you. He arranged things because he wanted you to be the mother of his only living son. His power is stronger and stronger. His might shall last longer and longer. Rosemary says, no, it can't be. Then has a flashback to the night she passed out and remembers what she thought was a dream of the inhuman that raped her. God is dead. Satan lives. The year is one. The year is one and the God is done. Roman says, why don't you help us out? Be a real mother to Adrian. You don't have to join if you don't want to. But be a mother to your baby. So then Minnie and Lara Louise, he says, Minnie and Lara Louise are too old. It's not right. Friends come by to see the baby. Guy says they promised she wouldn't be hurt. They're getting so much in return. Rose spits in Guy's face. The baby is crying. Minnie is trying to console the baby. Rosemary tells Lara she's rocking him too fast. That's why he's crying. Roman tells her to rock him. Aren't you his mother? Rosemary begins to rock the baby while everyone is happily watching as some Asian guy takes pictures. And then Rose has a smile on her face. What the fuck? <laughs> what the hell was that? Oh my God. Roman Polanski is a... <sighs> wow. Yeah, that was actually my first time watching this movie all the way through. Holy shit. Um, Rosemary's Baby, y'all. So um, I believe there was a sequel some years later, but it flopped pretty badly. No one really mentions it at all. Um, yikes. Yikes. So, yeah, that those are my movie breakdowns for, for tonight, guys. Um, yeah. I, I, once again, I, I starting tomorrow, I got to get back on it. I will be checking out Mortal or Mortal Mortal uh, on Netflix. I, I'm hearing 
good things about that. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, if not any questions, uh, once again, I thank you guys for uh, hanging out. Oh, also, subscribe to uh, On The Wake Up YouTube's channel. Get us to 1,000 subs. Uh, also, on the wakeupradio.com is, is live and official. Well, I mean, it's up and running, the website. So for all the past episodes, shows you may have missed from all the different um, hosts, on the wakeupradio.com is, is where, where it's at. Also, the you know, the Google Play, Stitcher, um, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and everything as well. So, um, yeah. So God forbid if I this channel ever goes away, there's there's you know I'm I'm somewhere. Um, all right. So yo, with that being said, oh, 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 feedback, feedback. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna get out of here. So like I said, thank you for everybody. Super chat, pureness. I think Capachata did one. Um, all you maniacs in, in, in the chats on both streams, thank you. Uh, we'll do this again real soon. Uh, yeah, there, there's boss. Yeah, cash apps, uh, whatever, donations if you feel like it, whatever the case may be. Um, but, yeah, definitely go, subs- go, go sub to the uh, On the Wake Up Radio uh, YouTube channel. So, yeah, Snow more. you're late. I, I've already broke down The Witcher. You're, you're kind of late, bro. You can catch it on the replays, I, but I broke. I went through every goddamn episode of The Witcher. I mean, I know I'd be late on shit, but I ain't that late, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, Teku, I can I can put Omen on the list. I'm not gonna go through all of them. I think the the first one is probably the most important one. So I, I will do the Omen eventually. So, uh, yeah, I just got off the phone. How you saying bye, yo, Cindy, motherfucker? I've been on this motherfucker for an hour and forty two minutes. An hour and 42 minutes running my mouth, no breaks, all gas. Okay. I haven't had a sip of water. Okay. <laughs> Damn. Y'all have a good night. Peace.